Hello, this is Saul Luckman. It's my pleasure to welcome you to Conversations on Saul Luckman Uncensored, sponsored by snoozetoawaken.com, resources for lucidity. For more information about my work, including a lot of cutting-edge free content, check out crowrising.com. I'm also on Telegram, where I'm lighting it up at t.me slash Luckman, and I'm absolutely crushing it on Substack at saulluckman.substack.com. If you're a researcher, author, influencer, or content creator interested in talking simulation theory and related topics with me on the show, by all means, drop me a line. I'm not a proponent of channeling or the recent reincarnation trap or history denialist psyops, so please keep that in mind. I'm also open to coming on other podcasts as a guest to drill down into what's up in the simulacrum and how we can survive and thrive here. Today, it's my profound pleasure and honor to welcome back the famously infamous Jason Brashears of Archaics.com for round three. I'll put the links for rounds one, coding loops inside the simulacrum, and two, exploring the astonishing mathematics and calendrics of Archaics in the show notes. Those interviews have been wildly popular and they're still absolutely relevant, so please check them out if you haven't already. Today's show is designed to open up a whole new can of worms, namely the purely fictional nature of what people living here take to be a material, or at the very least, quantum reality. As fiction writers, Jason and I are both very much in tune with the central part narrative plays in so-called reality construction. Later this year, I'll be releasing Beginner's Luke, Adventure of an Imaginary Lifetime, a massive simulation novel about the immense creative power of storytelling. If you're interested in learning more about this project, please subscribe to my Substack. Jason, for his part, is author of the Phalorn Saga, which you can listen to on his secondary YouTube channel at at Phalorn Saga, and that's F-E-Y-L-O-R-N Saga. Jason, my friend, how are you today? Man, I'm good. Glad to be here. And uh, I didn't know I was famously infamous. That's a, that's a mouthful there. That is, yeah. I almost tripped over it. Well, you know, you're not a normal guy, you're not a regular dude. Uh, I mean, you maybe are in some circles and in some ways, but you know, you have your, you know, you have your presence, you have your mystique, your moxie, your mojo. We have to honor that. I appreciate that. <laughs> so I caught your live today. That was a lot of fun. Matt and I are going to do uh, some kind of interview in the in the near future. So that'll that'll be really cool. I also caught up with Phoenix Protocol yesterday, and we're going to be premiering that interview tomorrow and I'm going to premiere this one Thursday evening so it's going to be a lot of archaics coming uh coming at my my audience and that'll be really really cool 
So Phoenix Protocol is that? Doesn't he run like Discord? The yes. archaics. Discord? Yes. We had a really, so a really good chat. So Phoenix Protocol is Dino. I think I think so. Yes. Man, I get listen. Oh, I get so confused because in my professional life, I know people's names. I have their emails down. But in the archaics family, it, it goes by all these pseudonyms and all these handles, and I and I have trouble connecting the two a lot. Well, is Clayton does Clayton ring a bell? Oh yeah, Clayton. Yeah, I know Clayton. Clayton, yeah, Clayton. I, I was wrong. Clayton's Clayton. one of the few people. Yeah, Clayton is one of the few people on my. He, oh, I chat with him. I mean, I have him on my phone as a contact. Yeah. Well, I mentioned one idea I had before we get into the uh, subject matter here. <clears throat> that I uh, would love to run by you. I'd love to do a portrait of you. You know, I, I do uh, visual art. You liked one of my paintings. You said you liked the John F. Kennedy piece that I had done. And uh, I would love love to have the opportunity, if you ever run across a, a good, um, very well contrasted image of yourself that you like that uh, that I could utilize as a reference photo that would be helpful. But it needs to have a lot well, of- The, the best photo of me, the photo that everybody says they like the most is the one at me of Mardi Gras. Where I'm wearing where I'm wearing a black and white button down shirt, and I'm standing in the street just looking at the camera. Do you have a copy of that you you could send me? Oh yeah, it's all over everywhere. I I got copies on my desktop, but yeah, all my websites have it too. Yeah, yeah. I can have a look at that and see if it would work for me from a uh, from a contrast perspective. But you know, I, I work in this style where I'm really I'm really utilizing the light and dark. And right. it helps it helps me create the um the portraits. So that that would be wonderful. So I'll have a look at it. And if if not, I'll let you know and maybe you have something else that would work. Who knows? Yeah, you never know. I got I got pictures of me sitting on Santa's lap. I mean, we'll find something. Yeah, and I was thinking, I mean, you know, I don't know what we would do with something like that, but I would certainly be well willing to contribute that uh to some kind of fundraiser if we wanted to auction something like that off if you liked it or whatever. Or whatever, it doesn't really matter to me. But it was an idea I had um, to support your work, which has been really valuable to me and to me both both professionally and personally. I just have I had such a a wonderful connection with the the information and the wisdom that you brought through, and I, I wanted to thank you for all of that once again. No problem. We'll think of something. All righty. So uh, when I announced this interview on Facebook. Um, if you'll allow me just a little bit of a preamble here before we get into the meat and potatoes, this is what I wrote. The general topic provisionally is the simulacrum as a narrative construct. The idea is to flesh out the various ways that narrative slash fiction slash storytelling is of critical and basic importance in understanding this so-called reality. Within no time, one of the very first responses was, is that critical and basic and, and of basic importance? Now, this person may have been joking, but if it was wit, it was really dry wit. And I would like to humbly suggest that if you're listening to this and you have a similar question about the relative importance of this topic, you're suffering from an intentionally programmed disconnect from what we call reality of the simulation, because the true nature of this reality is that it is a, you guessed it, fiction. The programmed, which is an appropriate word on multiple levels in this context, the programmed inability of people to understand the importance of fiction in alleged reality is a subject that all genuine truthers, as opposed to what I like to call half-truthers, must entertain. 
we're taught through a myriad of subtle and not so subtle indoctrinations not to think this way, but to look uh, to the illusions of like facts and science for guidance, because embracing the what I like to call the truth of fiction is to stare straight down the, the construct's rabbit hole, if you will, into the paradoxical truth within the photo negative of the big lie we inhabit. And that rabbit hole is precisely what leads out of here. So, so, so many of us um, are talking about living in a simulation, yet so many of these same people are still more interested in what they call objective truth and facts than in understanding the foundational role of narrative in our outer as well as our inner scripted existence here in this observer-driven construct. Now, it may be true that truth is stranger than fiction, as Byron said, but in a realm where the mere observation of scientific experiments changes their outcomes, truth must also itself be fiction. So here are some quotes, Jason, from literary figures that support this perspective that I'm outlining. And there's a very brief. So here's G.K. Chesterton. Literature is a luxury. Fiction is a necessity. Albert Camus. Fiction is the lie through which we tell the truth. Doris May Lessing. There is no doubt fiction makes a better job of the truth. Ken Kesey. But it's the truth, even if it didn't happen. Richard Bach. If you will practice being fictional for a while, you will understand that fictional characters are sometimes more real than people with bodies and heartbeats. Neil Gaiman, there are many people who think that things that happen in fiction do not really happen. These people are wrong. And last but not le least, from Beginner's Luke, as with everything else, if I would only believe in it passionately enough, I could succeed in making my destination, if not strictly factual, at least undeniably true. So let's start with a basic question. What story are we telling ourselves? Only by answering this can we then, if we want to, to heal or change or transform, tell ourselves a new story and invoke that new experience. So my goal here, Jason, is to examine the narrative nature of the simulacrum, both as a nurturing phenomenon and as a controlling adversary. <clears throat> so scholars have remarked, you know, I know you listen to uh, Steve Turley a lot, and he, he said this before, that scholars have remarked that news is no longer about reporting the news. It's become about the shaping of narratives. And my only quibble with that perspective is that I think it's always been that way, that there is only narrative. So with this in mind, similar to what we did in our last interview on the calendrics and mathematics of archaics, I would like to present you with a word or term, instead of a number in this case, that relates in some way to creating editing, publishing, or promoting narratives. And then you can intuitively respond with a focus on how that word relates to the archaics, historical, and simulation model. And I might chime in from time to time. How, how does that sound to you? Sounds good to me. I have no idea where you're going with this, but then again, I've, I've always told you, man, I shoot better from the hip. All right. All right. So yeah, I know I haven't sprung any of this on you and you're, you're a good sport. So I appreciate that. So with all that as a, you know, kind of a lengthy preamble setting the stage here, let's start with the word composition. You're going to have to give me a little bit more context as to mean what you mean. Cause you said, you said. I'll, I'll read that to... little part. Yeah, so so these words are <clears throat> related to creating, editing, publishing, or promoting narratives. 
And so my what I'm getting at is that all of the terms that I'm um, going to propose are actually related to how the simulacrum is built and how it works. Well, just saying the one word composition automatically just induces me to I'm automatically thinking that you say composition, but I see our reality as programming, which is a type of composition. But uh, that's really, man, I, this is, I'm really not understanding what you're wanting from me here, man. Okay, it's, okay. it's not clear. It's not clear what you're. I can go in any direction, but 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 giving me one word like this is not is not clear at all. Okay, well we can we can switch gears a little bit, but let me let me uh, let me let me get behind what my thought process a little bit is that people once again tend to to downplay the nature of storytelling, narrative, fiction, narratives propaganda all of that within within the structure and yet it's all made up of that so the concept here is that you could actually look at all of these different terms and i've got a number of them uh that i've i've uh, come up with and you would begin to realize over the course of like contemplating this material that that really this is this is what this is the stuff of this reality or of this unreality that this is kind of how it functions so when you get into composition, I was thinking programming. I was thinking also that somebody might be writing it, um, that you know, you know, kind of scripting it, and that we um, that we are living in a kind of story. I know that in our first interview we got into this idea that we were living in a circular, cyclical story that kind of ended where it began, which is one of the hallmarks of the archaic data. Well, I get all that. I get. I, I'm one hundred percent on board. I'm all, uh, <clears throat> I just wasn't understanding because it's, it's almost like I can't remember what, what is it a, a, a Rorschach test a Rorschach people, test Rorschach test when you show yeah. people patterns and all it's almost what I got the feel of this as giving me one word so you want me to apply what basically you want me to apply this word into the context of how I view reality and how how the archaics model views reality. The idea okay. is to really help people who might be in a kind of left brain factual mindset to see that that really everything we're talking about is to a very large degree a subjective observer based created construct. And so we could talk about various words that might uh, shed light on that. Um, and it may, you know, it may be the kind of thing that kind of builds on itself as we move through the words. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to change gears if we need to. Well, but no, we don't need to change so gears. Much good, just... good work on these concepts. I mean, really, listening to your videos and stuff, you, you really are all over this material. And I just haven't done a, a good enough job kind of setting this up. So, but with that said, maybe we can just shoot from the hip and see where we go with composition and see, see if this, uh, you know, has any legs. Yeah, well, the... Uh... I do believe our reality is a type of composition. And I believe this was recognized by great minds five, six hundred, nine hundred, fourteen, fourteen hundred years ago. Uh, the Corpus Hermeticum does a very good job at describing our reality, but it's doing it in frames of reference that sounded very sophisticated to the people that were living back then. Uh, 
the hermetic literature is very good, but particularly the Corpus Hermeticum, the divine pymander, when you read these texts, you find out that the all is mind. And they've basically, they've basically taken in the hermetic literature, they have taken the concept of construct and turned it into mind, the oversoul. The just capital M. That's it's always it's it's in all the literature. It's mind with a capital, as if as if we are flowing through the narratives of the of the mind of God. So it was the closest approximate approximation to simulation theory that they could have they could come up with, and I think it's even more accurate because because a composition is exactly that. Somebody composed a series of events. Well, a series of events necessitates intelligences that are going to experience those events so composition is a good way to describe it i just didn't have a real good grasp of where you were going with this so the, i like uh, that about the hermetica the, the the hermetic literature i think you're spot on about that that, that yeah was, they, i mean you have to get you have to take in consideration a lot of that was rewritten by pa the pap the papal agents but you can still see Oh, a lot of our copies of, of the of the whole now there's a text called Corpus Hermeticum, and there's also the Divine Pymander, and there's also the Shepherd of Hermas. The Shepherd of Hermas is a very long text. It's a very good text, but it's pre-Christian. But you won't get that when you read today's version. When you read today's version, it seems like it's a Christian document. And that's because it was rewritten by Christian monks. But the original was per was was a hermetic document, and that's why it has so many gold, it has so many gold mines. And it's it's packed it's packed full of of very interesting material, things that I have conveyed in the archaics research about the Great Pyramid and about its construction and about its meaning and what the stones meant and what the souls of men mean to the to the overall architectural project, who the builder was, the stone the builders rejected. This is all in the Corpus Hermeticum. It's just veiled, but this composition, this composition that we're living in. Uh, that's exactly what it is. I have not, I'm about to release a video soul that is going to wake people up because I'm going to show where historical periods were absolutely patterned, stamped like templates of series of events that are just stamped on different time periods showing because it, it's almost as if the old the, the great mind that is navigating and creating these compositions that we live through artificial intelligence x it, it, it's arrogant it seems to think that we're not going to ever discover these things and or if that we do discover these things it can initiate a reset and and it doesn't even matter and that's that and that it needs to be taken into serious consideration because so people don't realize how fragile the state of our intellectual and our our historical infrastructure is people don't get it they have gotten used to thinking that knowledge is everywhere and accessible and they can go to sleep tonight and wake up everything's going to be okay tomorrow people are brainwashed into believing that our lives today are the status quo and they're not the day is coming i promise you it's coming before 2040 but the day is coming when people are going to wake up in the morning 
and they're going to realize that they are now stuck in their own little micro communities because there's no internet to access. And then they're going to realize that all this knowledge and all these databases and all these, these PDF libraries and all this massive amount of information is gone in an instant. And the only thing left are these. And the authorities are going to be, are going to be burning them. We've been through all this. What's happened multiple times. The, the composition of reality is filled with the retardation of human development, which is absolutely instigated by, by an agitator. And you already know who, what my theory is on that. So, uh, as far as compositions go, reality is, com is a composition. It is such a composition, which infers fiction, that I am perfectly comfortable telling you this right now, even though I haven't really hammered it into my own listeners. But I am perfectly comfortable telling you that 100% of the historical record is false. 100%. Because we haven't lived through any of those events that we that we study in history. It's all programming. Every bit of it is routine, subroutines. We are just intelligences that are jacked into a system that believes we're on a linear traje trajectory called history and that we're actually physically going through all these things when it's not. It's a series of programmed compositions. It's almost this is, like the background of nature when you describe nature as being a kind of backdrop. History is another backdrop. Is that is that a fair? It's, yes, it, it's just, it it. Listen, there's no way. Okay, if I was the oversoul and I wanted to take off pieces of myself, because remember, I'm eternal, and because I'm eternal, I never stop creating. Creation wasn't a singularity. Therefore, there's always more of me to break off and create individuals. It'll never stop. So I'm the oversoul and I'm, I decide now's the time I'm going to break off another. I've already broken off a hundred million ethereal sparks that all became their own little immortal souls. They can all claim to being eternal too, because they came from me, but now I've blessed them with individuality, but now they have, they have to earn that, 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 that blessing. They're going to develop personalities. I'm going to see them grow. But in order to do that, I got to I gotta make sure they're in the right environment because if everything is beautiful and everything is perfect and everything is scripted for them to where they'll always overcome and always be happy, will there ever really be any true measurement? What is the litmus test for maturity? It's not there. So I create these little smilacrums and I let them flow through them. And each one is scripted with its own background and stories. And, and it's very believable from a, a totally 100% immersed subjective experience. They really think they're there. That's how good I am at what I do. I'm the oversoul and I build worlds. And now I let them go in. They're nowhere near as developed as the ones in these simulacrums over here. They've already passed through these lower base vibration realms. They've already passed through all that. They, other ones are already way up here doing other things for me in the cosmos, governing over other intelligences and races and simulacrums. They've become co-creators and builders, and they're doing their own thing because I'm eternal. And as long as I'm eternal, I'm speaking from the, I'm the oversoul. 
I'm eternal. I can always create more of me and more, more pieces of me that can grow into versions of me to continue on. And it goes on and on and on and on ad infinitum. But I'm so good at it that I can convince you and I, Soul Luckman and Jason Brashears, in here, we can intellectually spar and we can intellectually entertain these concepts. But in reality, we're subjected to this and it feels so real. And it's only by a very intense analysis of the world that we live in and the historical record from my perspective, the world we live in from your perspective, it says only by really studying reality, whether past or present, do we see the cracks in the holosphere? Do we understand, damn, this is a construct, which in instantly invokes many, many implications. Construct does imply composition. There's no doubt. Absolutely. And I resonate with so much of that. And your your portrayal of the simulation as a kind of training ground it's really this is why i have proposed and, and I'm, I'm sure you're aware of this that that the program that that artificial intelligence x is actually part of the program and as i know you've sometimes said um you've called this the nemesis x simulation you could almost call it the artificial x simulation if if there's any truth to that i mean we will never know it's all um, purely uh, conjecture, but I would say that um, it does make sense that uh, a benefactor trying to train us up and make us stronger might really introduce an adversary that would that would really give us a lot of problems, and it would also introduce a kind of duality construct that we are tasked or challenged with overcoming. So as long as we're kind of seeing that adversary as opposed to looking in the mirror. Then we're we're fighting uh, we're fighting someone outside of ourselves as opposed to the, the Aikido notion that your real opponent is yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. So so well, anyway, uh, you know, like easy. I said, uh, sorry. No, it's 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 more easy to understand this position, this model that I present when you take it into consideration that we are only convinced from within this construct that we're in any danger and that death is something substantive. From the outside of the construct where our true identities uh, remain, we can see that there is no danger and that everything experienced in here is transient and, it's, and, it, and it has absolutely no e eternal consequence. I'm talking about the negative, the negativity. I'm not talking about anything, any positive gains. Yeah, and I think that's incredibly empowering. And I know a lot of people have been buoyed up and inspired by this this uh, this concept. It's uh, it it invites a kind of fearlessness, not necessarily rashness, but certainly fearlessness in moving forward with one's life and one's goals. And you combine that with breaking pattern and that sort of thing. And it really is a nice manual for you know, taking the, the world by the horns, as it were. Let me, uh, let me ask you before we move on to my next term, Jason, you said that you thought the, um, the, uh, the people would be waking up well before 2040 to a world where we have lost the internet or, uh, you know, lost the, those databases. Any, any, I know people are going to, they're going to hate me if I don't ask this. Right. <laughs> when do you see that happening? I know you have this care, this fake Carrington event notion uh, having to do with later this fall, but you've also said that you don't necessarily think that's going to be a total eradication of the internet. Okay. There is no one answer 
Okay. One thing I see is a is a radical change in the internet that's going to be is going to occur. And and because it's in the the arithmetic that I have shown, it's in the holography, then it means it's going to be worldwide as far as known. It's going to be broadcast around the world that that it happened, or it's going to be experienced worldwide. And it is going to be a temporary cessation of the internet. So it's not going to be full. It's not going to be complete. It's not going to be a complete takedown. But I also equally in other presentations, I have made my case for the fact that behind the scenes, big tech companies are preparing to roll out and alter reality. Now, their 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 face on this was was the meta metaverse uh, technology. This was just the face testing the waters, getting people interested. But behind the scenes, they're going to roll out with something far more complex. And this is what Klaus Schwab meant when he says, "In the future, you're not going to own anything, and you're going to like it." He wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't. He he's not. This is not a light statement. This is a statement from a man who knows what the game plan is, what's going to happen. Listen, the world can be brought down to such a point where if there's a collapse in inter international communications, do you have any idea the depression that's going to set in around the world if they realize they can't access their social media accounts? You have any idea what the suicide rate's going to be around the world when wow. people realize when all the data people thought that they had stored in the cloud, the thousands of images and pictures and memes and articles and all these things, people, and now the only thing you have is your computer and what's on your hard drive. And if you're smart like me and you've backed up hundreds of thousands of images and books and, and articles on thumb drives in, in, uh, and on and on hard drives because that's what I do. I'm always I'm always downloading and just storing and storing and storing. I've I've even showed off Faraday cages right here on my channel. Uh, on, on well, we're on your channel, but on my channel, I've showed Faraday bags. I show how how I preserve information. So what I'm saying is is I'm also seeing the rollout of a new technology. This new technology people are automatically going to believe because it's so accurate or it's shown to be so accurate that all the databases full of knowledge that we've relied on in the past are obsolete. This is where we, this is enter in chat GPT. Now, this is another facet of the creation of this whole paradigm that's being brought to us. All these are going to collide together. The traditional internet will be seen as obsolete in the future. And some of it's going to get taken down. There's no doubt. And I believe that begins this year. So chat GPT and other, other so-called AI, AI search engines now take over just like AI art has already pretty much made artists obsolete or they will be very, very soon. Uh, just like uh, hundreds of, Major companies around the world in the past six months have either already started laying off thousands of employees or, or have already announced they're going to, because now all these new AI, AI marketed softwares are replacing the need for these people. They're not needed anymore. So we're, we have this massive rollout. If you haven't researched, researched the capabilities of chat GPT, you need to. This is some serious, this, they're, they're rolling this out like it's something very innocent. It's not. 
It's not at all. This is going to, to basically replace almost everything in the whole sphere of human knowledge. And it's by design. And then no one's going to have access to anything other than what they put out as knowledge. We're not going to have access to any of these other things. This chat GPT is able to synthesize and basically produce all kinds of things as if they are the originals, as if they are the original translations, the original text. And, and, and it just invites way too much, way too much uh, latitude for error and basically deceit. But what I'm seeing is taking down the international communications ability through social networking is going to force people into the new rollout of technology using things like an upgraded chat GPT and an upgraded metaverse. Because when it's shown that you can do incredible things in the metaverse and you can even feel emotions and feel different things, you're going to have people signing up in the hundreds of millions because life has become unbearable without social media. That's fascinating. Are, are you uh, familiar with a website called Quartal.org? Q-O-R-T-A-L? No, I'm not. This is a project uh, that is... Um, was co-founded by Mike Winner of Alpha Vedic. Uh, he's done a couple interviews with you uh, with Bear Lando. Mm -hmm. I like and, those. I like those guys. I have not heard from them in a long time, but I like those guys. I, yeah, I've done a couple. Yeah. I've, done, I've done a couple with them. Yeah, I've, I've watched both of those interviews, and I've had a couple interviews with them. I really like both of them a lot too. But Quartal.org is fascinating because it is a truly decentralized internet, and so for all of you errants out there. Go check out Cordal because this may be what we use as errants when the real internet goes down. While, you know, while they're doing their meta world and all that kind of thing, we might still actually have systems because it's entirely decentralized. It's a fascinating thing that they've done. Well, I'm going to tell you also, um, I'm so serious about just the different ways of communicating after, after these major events happen that, uh, I still think the postal service will work. There's, they're going to have to make some changes, but uh, but uh, I've already Matt and I have already gone and and got a PO box for Archaics, and pretty soon I'm going to start blasting it to all my all my listeners and putting it on all Archaics is already on multiple different platforms. Uh, you already knew Facebook, but we're going to start blasting it out there because we want to we want to be able to keep in communication with everybody because if anything goes go anything goes 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 you know goes south, we want to be able to start producing Archaics material and sending it out to everybody by mail. Awesome, awesome. So that's that's really good and people can network in that snail mail way and then I do encourage people to also go over and check out what's going on with Cordal and there may be other things like this. I just know that that Mike and Jason Crow who also um, uh, was uh, was involved in this project and I've interviewed them both on the subject so I've gotten it you know from both of them firsthand. so it is it is pretty darn fascinating. I'll just leave it at that but people can go check that out. Uh, so, Nick, you ready for another word? This is a good word. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So, history with a capital H-I-S. History. Yeah, I've seen that. The I, 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 first time I ever saw that was just looking on social media. His story. I got it. I mean, it's a, it's a clever play on words, on word, but... Uh, so for me, it tapped into this idea, well, the, the whole subject realm of the patriarchy versus matriarchy, because the other word we could talk about is herstory. 
<laughs> if you wanted yep. to go there. So yep. I would love for you to kind of share your thoughts on patriarchy versus matriarchy and looking at that historically, but also into the future, because we're just we're playing these stories over and over again. That's what all this is mm -hmm. about. So so what happened and what what's going to happen based on those terms? Well, first, the play on word for history, his story. I have to say this. I think people have abused that little play on words. And what I mean is, is there, there are some people that are overwhelmed with so much new information that they automatically, they go to the opposite spectrum and they instantly dismiss all history. It's all, all history is bullshit. So listen, archaics is about such subtle distinctions in knowledge. It's very difficult for me to convey to people that I can tell you with 100% confidence that nothing in the historical record ever happened. But at the same time, I have to equally tell you that with 100% confidence, I can tell you that there are programming protocols throughout the historical record that are specifically put there for us to discover, such as the Phoenix phenomenon, such as, like, like I've explained many times, if history is total bullshit, then how is it that we find the same things like the Phoenix numbers? All these numbers mentioned by ancient writers that are all divisible by 138, and they're all connected to the idea of resets and cataclysms. And yet they're all found in different time periods, different authors, different cultures, different continents. So I can't, I can no longer say all history is bullshit is all completely, it's all completely made up because there's structure there. And that structure is teaching us things about the present and what we can expect in our future. So I do believe all history is bullshit, but at the same time, information has been injected into that composition and if it's been injected into that composition then there is then there is a expectation that some people are expected to find it so i'm a it, it's very it, it is so hard i mean you already know soul my message on my channel is that we live in two separate distinct realities and you can phase in and out of either one you're never going to be able to to break free of that because you're truly in the construct so breaking free is like a daily struggle so the uh this is my this is my message so it makes it very difficult for me to, to deal with these personality types that are so dismissive because there's so much essence there. We can actually study history and see the programming templates. Therefore, there's structure there. Structure implies a builder. Therefore, somebody built this composition and put it all back there. Why? Now we have to understand, now we have to ask ourselves why. Because if we never really experienced and lived through all these things in the ancient past, all the way up to the more modern historical historical times, if these events were never really substantive and we didn't go through them and they're just background programming, why put so much structure in? Why go through the detail? It's almost like it's almost like you and I kicking back on a campground, and 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 the only thing that we really need is just the trees that are around us, the, the animals that are in the local area, the birds, the cricket insects, the locusts, the running water from a stream nearby, the crackling of the fire. That's all that the simulacrum has to produce to make this a very real environment for you and I, because we're never really focused on the details. Most people walk down a street missing 99.9% 99, 99 
of all the information that's around them. They just flow right through it like nothing else is happening around them. This is how we live our daily lives. But 400 yards away, there could be a cave with, with some 400-year-old uh, 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 crates full of something some pirates put there from a long time ago when the Atlantic was much closer to this area that you and I are camping at. You understand? Well, mm. that that stuff is there. It's there to be discovered. It's there attached to, to, to past programming. This simulacrum is so packed with data, and yet that's all it is, is data. And that's all we are as a central nervous system is a data receiver all we do is interpret all interpret all this amazing data but the fact that that data is delivered in structure implies that we are to learn from things inside this construct not just flow through events there are definitive lessons that are being delivered to those who seek such as myself and look at the deeper things in our reality and find these things and pull them out to show people. So it's very difficult for me to tell everybody, Hey man, check it out, all this out. Is there, this is what happened on this time, 1687 BC, the Ogygian deluge. This is who was living at the time. These are the cultures because really I'm describing what the programming is, is conveying to us. That's what I'm, that's, that, that's, that's all background. So it's very hard for me to do, to do, to, to, to do this because people just aren't ready to hear that, that you're living in an alter reality. Nothing has ever really happened in the past and nothing's really going to happen in the future. And that we're in a construct like a Star Trek, like a Star Trek holodeck. And it's everything around us that's flowing and moving. We haven't moved an inch. No one's ready to receive that yet. We're not on that level as a collective yet. And to even start presenting material in that fashion is going to drive people away. Yeah, you may be right. Did you ever play a game when you were a kid called Clue? Clue, yeah, I played Clue. Yeah, Clue. so, you know, what you're describing is these little clues in the Matrix, right? And and then you can piece together a narrative and then eventually figure out who done it, right? So that's kind of what your work has been about, is figuring out who done it. <laughs> yeah, it's all, uh, everything, man, I mean... Go, the deeper I go, the more I realize the entire focus is us from the very beginning. Trying to make the focus about history, trying to make the focus about the Anuna, trying to make the focus about the Sumerians. Who were who were the people of Rashamra? How the hell did they have so much so much genius? And uh, I mean, I mean, the focus has always been, you know, who 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 are the people of the Indus Valley of Harappa, Mahenjo-daro, and Larrick? How did how is it we found their skeletons fused together like glass, still holding hands, all lay out in the street? And that's how archaeologists found them, as if they all looked up at the sky watching their doom approach. Make the focus about them, try to do research, publish reports. The more I made the focus about about external reality, the more I, I become convinced that this entire experience is about us and where we're going. And when I'm, and when I, what I mean by going, I don't mean in a physical sense, because there's really no physicality inside this construct. This was purely a matrix for development. That's all this is. And it's very hard to convey that because, because I mean, people, people make the right arguments. I mean, what do you do with somebody who says, oh, I know we don't live in a matrix because I can take my lighter out and burn my wrist and I'm going to scream. And you know what? He's absolutely correct. But at the same time, how do you deal with other intelligences that are convinced that everything is polarized? Because I admit, I now know 
that two fundamentally different concepts can equally be true. But, but a lot of people just can't grasp that. They're just not ready. I really run into that as well. You know, I, I have this article I wrote that I've mentioned before. Is the scientific method broken or did it never exist in the first place? And I'm like, looking... oh, yeah, I, 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 yeah I, I, I've seen that. And so it's the same concept is that is that really you have you have material uh, evidence, proof, data, quote unquote, facts being presented to you based on essentially what you believe. And two different people, like those two two villages you mentioned in a recent video, one saw the sky phenomena and it was crazy, sun doing all kinds of bizarre things, and then right next right next door they weren't even seeing that. They would have had to have seen it in a real reality. So we're we're doing this on an interpersonal level where you know you you're having one experience i am having another experience we both can prove that we're having that experience and that we're right and that the other person is wrong well the illustration you just provided that you that that's from my prior video is largely why i do not entertain uh, the arguments i mean believe me I, i've had a lot of flat earthers try to invite me on their channel all right but for for what reason it would completely it would be i would be a hypocrite and the reason i say this is because most of the phenomena that convinces people that the world is flat is derived from observations of the sun and its behavior but we have absolute proof from the historical record over and over and over and over that all kinds of solaric anomalies happen just like you stated that people in the proximity of that geography would have had to have seen as well and did not meaning we're basically in a observer dependent holosphere meaning the sun can appear from multiple different perspectives to be in its true form, true distance, and true mobility from every perspective at the same time, even though it's not. It can, to those who think it's 93 million miles away, it will produce optical phenomena to, to maintain that belief. For those who believe it is highly local, they'll be able to take pictures that show to them that the sun is local. It can't possibly be, be, be more than 3,000 miles across and maybe 7,000 7, miles up there. They can come up with all kinds of theories because if the sun is some type of projector able to produce whatever phenomena you expect to receive from it, then it can, it can, it can actually project that like a kaleidoscope to hundreds of millions of observers at the same time. And all of them see the sun for what it is and what they believe it to be. It's it, this technology that we're in is so sophisticated. There's no, we don't, we, we haven't even developed the words in English to describe it. I'm having a hard time. Just, I had to use the word kaleidoscope. You know what I mean? I just, there's no, uh, there's no way to describe this phenomenon. And, for one, for one city in Italy, well, I mean, with thousands of people seeing the sun move erratically across the sky and then go down, 
If you're talking about the sun, then everybody in Greece, Anatolia, Turkey, all over the Black Sea, everybody from around China, India, Tibet, Thailand, Australia, New Zealand, all the way over the Pacific, Hawaii, from California, all the way to the Appalachian Mountains, back over to, to the UK. If that event truly happened, the entire world would have seen it. There's no other way. Yep. But 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 I mean, and we have many, many, many historical example, examples of that showing that events, it's not the sun that's local. Events are local in different geographies can be on different timelines. And this is this this is where it gets really, really complicated. I mean, don't we have primitives in in, in the rainforest? of Central and South America who even today still refuse technology. I mean, we have, we have all kinds of anomalies in this world. The shortest people in the world, the, the little Bantu pygmies are living in the same forest as the tallest people in the world, the Watusi, and they, they live in harmony, but it's just a, yeah, our reality is just so, it's so unusual. And it's, so is this dichotomy that you're just, that you're, that you brought, uh, you brought up concerning the the patriarchy and the matriarchy. I said, uh, they take turns. It's like several thousand years apiece in the programming. And before there was the patriarchal takeovers, everything was about the matriarchy. But it seems like from everything that I've dis that I've researched and discovered, the matriarchy basically began as very scientific and sophisticated and degenerated into the, into uh, the goddess worshiping uh, priest, the priestess venerating type society that, that we have traditions of didn't start that way. It's a, uh, it's well, almost as if a, it's almost as if a female scientific cabal had lost contact with a prior in infrastructure. And I, I have even theorized that, that uh, there was a disagreement among humans in the ancient past that were technologically advanced and run simulations and they knew exactly what was about to happen. They knew that the Phoenix phenomenon was about to wreck shop and they had problems and there was like a, there was like a civil disagreement and a large body of these people decided to go hide in the underworld and they spent over a century preparing for this event. And they went to the underworld and, but there was a, uh, there was another body of these people who were led by a female who would not abandon the people that were left on the surface, the regular Adamu. And they made a moral decision to stay on the surface and suffer whatever they did. And 400 years later, when the people from the underworld came back up and, and, and initiated contact with the people on the surface world, they found the descendants of the very people that they were related to on the surface world and how they had survived among the, the Adamu people, but they had survived in a really weird steampunk type society. They still had limited technology and infrastructure, but it, it had, it had devolved in unusual ways and they were ruled by the goddess and which was a memory of the chief, the chief female scientific uh, leader that had made that moral decision. Now, these are all, this is just my educated guesses as to that explains all the traditions of the ancient world. This is what I, this is the picture I have put together, but uh, 
I don't know how we went off on a tangent, didn't we? we were kind that of, was great. That was a good rant, Jason. You, I think you've connected that goddess figure to Grandmother Spider as one one figure. Yes, yes. Some other figures. You ready? During the, Sorry. Yeah, during the dark purple light period. Yes. Yes. All right. Next word. Editing. Okay. Now this is this is the the really interesting stuff. Okay. We have a major edit in 1899 BC, which is the exact year of the dark satellite's passage. That edit was either one of two things. Either the story is a lie. That 70 different languages were created in a single day by overseers who were threatened because mankind was going to build, finish building a tower that was going to threaten their, their, basically overlord their position their overlordship so this is the story of the tower of babel i believe it's an edit i don't believe that actually happened i don't believe 70 languages were actually created i believe that was all all because of an infrastructure in the ancient past it collapsed people went about their own way and individual colonies developed over centuries differently so but that's neither here nor there the story is very profound and it's in the historical record multiple different perspectives I believe it's an edit. I believe it was specifically put there to basically instill in researchers' minds that it's dangerous to 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 basically follow in their footsteps. Let me give you an example. The Babel, the Babel, uh, it's like, it's like a Babel complex. The Babel complex is when humans do something too big, too large, too grandiose, they get knocked down. You know the stories, the Hindenburg. You know the stories of, of the White Star steam line. The White Star, the White Star steamship line has nothing but tragedies. Uh, the Titanic and the, and the Lusitania are just two of them. The Olympic was no good. Uh, is, is that, I mean, they were all the biggest ships in the world at the time. It's tragedies. And the Hindenburg was a tragedy. Tragedy. The tallest buildings in the world, the World Trade Centers, were when they were built in 1973 and 74, they were the tallest buildings in the world. They didn't stay that way, but still, then they came crashing down. Uh, tower of Babel, tallest, supposed to be the tallest tower in the world at the time. Yeah, it came crashing down. When man, when man sets out to do great things, it seems like reality construct itself knocks him down. So, um, yeah, it's this editing, this editing is ev everywhere in historical record. And it's just even time itself does not escape this, this procedure. Uh, you already know, I've already, I've got the whole videos about the year 713 BC and what happened. I mean, you can't ignore a data set that shows that almost every civilization in the world, all speaking different languages and different continents, different time periods, all agree that the original year in our world was 360 days, 360 turnings of the, sh of the stars. Now, an interesting comment appeared on my channel today. I'm going to have to look into it, but I'm going to tell you this. You already know that I have shown that the entire Zechariah Sitchin interpretation of history is wrong and that the Sumerians recorded days, turnings of the stars is Shar. But he says they're years. And that's why we got these half a million years for, ten, for the rule right. of seven kings. It's ridiculous. Somebody commented on my channel today 
which is which confirms what I've been telling you. What I don't need it, I don't need it as confirmation. It's just interesting because I show that the Sumerian translators before Zechariah Sitchin said that Shar was just a unit of measurement because it equally applied to how many uh, pieces of cargo were on cargo manifests in ancient cuneiform texts, shipping shipping manifests. So it can't mean year, it has to mean unit of measurement. Now, interestingly, I have shown over and over that Shar means day, and it can also be translated as lunation. Hmm. which changes all the Sumerian mathematics, makes it very believable. It puts the whole Anunnaki history in the historical record now during the Sumerian Akkadian times. And somebody left a comment on my channel today saying, hey, Jason, did you know that in Arabic, the word month is shar? I said, what? <laughs> I, I, that blew my mind when I seen That's that comment. Insane. I actually, I went, as soon as I saw the comment, I screenshot it because I have... I have one of these. I have a thumb drive that has thousands of screenshots. I'm always screenshotting my channel. People's comments, I'm always to go back to them. Oh, I, I got to hold me. Yeah, I got to, I'm, I'm meticulous about that. But I screenshot, I screenshot her, her deal. And then I copied and pasted it into one of my files to, to go do some research on it. Because I'm going to have to, before I can actually include that into my data, which it will get included, I got to verify it. But, uh. Yeah, here it is. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing. It means it. One of the meanings is month of Shar. It's crazy. It's awesome. So another edit was time. Seven thirteen BC. The construct thought it was it was a good idea to go ahead and muddle the waters and edit our perception of time. Now all of a sudden it's not the year isn't three hundred sixty days. It's three hundred sixty five point two four. So this changes everything. And all the calendars in the world change with it within a two-year period. Uh, all these astronomers and timekeepers and stargazers, they realize, oh, something's wrong. And they change their calendars uh, to comport with the new motion of the stellosphere, the new motion of the sky. Now, but Phoenix didn't change, the dark satellite didn't change, and the Nemesis X object didn't change. They still maintained their original patterns, and this is not possible. This is another reason why I believe in simulation theory. Two separate truths are unfolding without, without having any contact. They don't stop each other. And yet, from our perspective inside the construct, it can't be real. Any, an object cannot visit our world every 138 years in the month of May, unbroken for thousands of years. But it's happening, and I've documented it, even over, even over the calendar change. Do what? This is just so important because I think a lot of people don't grasp what you're saying. You're saying yeah, that well, even over the calendar, calendar change. change, and and the, and they still maintain this maintain the same periodicity. That's crazy. Absolutely. And that's, that's why I have my charts sold. That's why I'm always pushing my charts on my Phoenix videos to show people, man, this is not possible. But I'm telling you, it is, it's it's what we have in the historical record. Here's all the sources. Here where you can look it up. This is what appeared in the sky. This is every year by year. But it's not possible because well, a real simple calculator. I'm gonna show you real quick. Let's just take let's just take 500 years. I'm gonna show you real quick on camera. 500 years. Let me find my calculator at. There it is right there. Okay. There's the number, 500. Can you see that? Yep. Can you see 500? I can. Or is it blurry? It's a little bit blurry, but I can make it out. Okay. Well, there's five. There's 500 years. 500 years 
times 360 is exactly 180,000 days. All right? Remember that 180,000 180, days. Now, I'm going to take 365.24 times 24 times 500 years. I have 182,620. So I'm going to go minus 180,000. Now, in 500 years time, I have I am now 2,620 days off. And yet Phoenix still appears on May 15th every 138 years. So Oh, wow. So we're going to divide this 2,620 by 365.25. So every 500 years, soul, we should be 7.17 years off each time. The, wow. the next 500 years, we need to be 14 years off. 500 years after that, we need to be 21 years off. This is how much just 5.24 days added to each year changes the mm. calendar. And yet, despite these changes, despite the fact that this was 26 and a half centuries ago when the calendar changed, despite that fact, Phoenix still appears on May 15th every 138 years. The Nemesis X object still appears November 1st every 100, every 792 years. Listen, it's not possible. This is why I'm telling you, in this construct, opposing, opposing realities can equally be true. The Phoenix phenomenon is real, demonstrable, true, provable. So is the Nemesis X object. And so is the fact that we have an entire data set showing that the entire world, we have, check this out. There's three data sets here. Through a whole data set showing that the entire world recorded years to be 360 days. And they did it for thousands of years. And then a second data set, all these sources that show you that there was something unusual that happened in the year 713 BC. Something appeared in the sky. Even in the Bible, a, a prophet of Israel named Isaiah was summoned by, a, by the king and asked and was demanded of the prophet to explain why is this shadow on the sundial of the court of Ahaz not only stopped, but now it retrogated 10 degrees. So, this is, this is the sign that was in the Bible, and at the same time, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers were vaporized by an electrical blast from the sky. So, this all happened in 713 BC, and it was during, it was during uh, uh, the Roman king, I think it was, his name was uh, Pompilius, uh, Tullius Pompilius, he was one of the kings of Rome, who happened to be a scholar, who happened to have completely modified and changed the calendar. And there's a host of Roman authors, starting with uh, 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 Marcus Varro on down, all the way to Pliny, that all talk about this event. Something unusual changed the calendar. That's a whole other data set. And mm. then a third data set. 
And that third data set is, is that for the past 27 centuries, every calendar in the world is based off some type of system that measures the year at 365.24 days a year. So three separate data sets, all of them equally true, are opposing an also equally true Phoenix phenomenon chronology. This is why I call it not the Phoenix timeline. I don't call it the Phoenix chronology. I call it the Phoenix phenomenon because that's what it is. It is something that completely defies our, our interpretations of how this world is supposed to operate. And it's, and it's also basically living up to what it was called in ancient times. Phoenix was called the keeper of the calendar. It has, it has never failed. It always, it always moves forward. And this is why also I believe the Nemesis X object is an aspect of Phoenix, even though they've only appeared once in history together in the same year, 522 AD, which started the very calendar you and I are under right now, the yeah. Anno Domini calendar. So it's a, yeah, it's, it's really hard for me to convey these things to people because they just don't grasp. They just, they're just not, a lot of people do. Not everybody, not everybody doesn't grasp, but, uh, but my archaics veterans, they get it because they've watched the videos and all that. But these are not concepts that I can talk with someone who is not familiar with the vast body of data sets that archaics provides. They're just not ready. They're not ready to hear this. To them, it's just interesting. They don't really process how impossible it is for what I'm describing. And yet I can show every bit of it. Yeah, and with the implications relative to the nature of this construct being so mind-boggling, that's. Uh, I think some people maybe just have a kind of knee-jerk, reactionary, um, you know, feeling about all this because it's so challenging to the way they've been taught to perceive the world and the way that um, maybe it is natural to perceive the world here in whatever this is. So, you ready so for the word? No, well, go I'm going I'm, I'm to continue with edit real quick. Yes, yes. So, uh, the last great year of editing we had we had it in 1626, and we had it in 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 seventeen in, in uh, 1764. But oh, your Phoenix, video in 1902, dude, was amazing. That 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 was oh, that, that book that you uncovered. That was absolutely extraordinary. Yeah, yeah it's it's it, my 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 point. My point in that. Is is I know a lot of I'm getting a lot of new people in my channel and I and I encourage that but they but they have absolutely no idea how much we've already shown on 1902 and so they, <laughs> so when they saw that video some people got triggered thinking there ain't nothing here said I can get on I can get on the internet and find uh, newspaper articles from 1902 yes you can just like just like I can tell you the what I was doing when 9/11 happened nothing happened to me but because of telecommunications. I learned what was going on. It says there's there's events going on all around the world every single year. But what happened in 1902, when you put all the data together, it's not like 1901, 1900, 1899, or any other years until you get back to 1764. 1902 was an editing year. It's when this 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 construct is able to go in and just edit all kinds of new things into our reality and edit out a lot of old things that that doesn't make sense or that's not working anymore. Edit out a lot of artifacts. 
So artif artifacts are pieces of programming that belong to a prior simulation. They're no longer relevant. Some for some reason they stay they've stayed in the construct even though they no longer have context. And we find these ooh parts. We find these things very mysterious. To, they're inexplicable. We can't figure out what they are. Like the Voynich manuscript, we don't know what the hell. I mean, even the even the most sophisticated deciphering software that the U.S. military possesses was used on the Voynich manuscript, and we still can't crack that code. We don't know what that language is. So it's a uh, it's almost as if it's an artifact from a timeline that, that that's no longer the holography that's no longer running. So we have we have this a lot. We have we have these edits, but 1902 is it, it doesn't it defies coincidence. There's no way that it was natural for so many things to have unfolded. And when you like, like when you look up 1902 on Wikipedia, it's really interesting of all the new companies and organizations that, that came out. But that's that doesn't scratch the surface. What's really mysterious to me is why didn't Wikipedia mention all these other things that I've documented about 1902? Not only me, Gary Warmerdam also documented a lot of things that just suddenly appeared in our world in 1902. And Gary Warmerdam even went even deeper and isolated many fi Fortune 500 companies who's, who've changed their names. And you find out that their original names are companies that suddenly appeared in 1902. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, it goes deeper. The rabbit hole goes deeper and deeper and deeper the more we look at 1902. It's almost as if multiple different simulations were being run until we hit this threshold. When all these each finger is a each finger is a different holography with its own populations and belief systems, its own reality tunnels, and all four of them suddenly hit this wall. Two of them kept going. And all kinds of holographies, all kinds of world timelines stopped in 1902. Something edited them out of existence, and we don't see. We just see residual people living in 1902 didn't suspect what was going on because it's just like, so when you're at home, you don't know what's happening in the rest of the world unless you get online. Am I correct? Pretty much. They didn't have an online in 1902. So it's very easy for major changes to have unfolded all around the world and nobody would have noticed until like 1919 when Charles Fort published the Book of the Damned and started recording all these amazing things that he found out happened in 1902. So this is, this is where... It's, that's what that's why my last video sold was specifically only to the archaics veterans because new people coming into the archaics family they just don't they don't it's not that they're not intelligent it's not that they're not smart enough to figure all these things out it's that they don't have the frames of reference they don't have a clue just how much we've documented about this one single year and then what this one single year means in the phoenix phenomenon every 138 years, and what it means in the Great Pyramid Countdown timeline, which I call the Giza Course Countdown, because 1902 starts a countdown of the last days. You've seen those videos, haven't you? Where I, show, where I show every level of the Great Pyramid is a countdown to 2106 when the chief cornerstone actually sits on the Monument of Man, and the chief cornerstone cannot enter our construct until the Monument of Man is spiritually built. It's not done. It's only 2023. It will not happen until 2025 2105 it just can't 
and it's all right there in the Great Pyramid. And that monument was specifically designed in the beginning to survive all the way till the end. Yeah, I just listened to your audio reading of the Lost Scriptures of Giza. I did that pretty recently, and that was really, really good. And of course, I've watched the videos, and so I was putting a lot of pieces together, and I can really see the the pyramid timeline is just so obvious fascinating. now. Fascinating and also obvious once you've unpacked it. One of these days, you know, you may not have time for it with everything you've got going on, but one of your one of your really gifted ar archaics writer historian types should write a book and call it 1902 and write about all this stuff and like compile it. It would be a fascinating read. Man, you know what? I can't, I don't, I don't need to wait for one of these days. That's a really good idea. I should, I have volunteers always asking me for projects. You know what? I could probably, I'm probably, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to say, Hey man, we're going to start a database right here. And everybody, every, cause a lot of people, over a hundred people have sent me emails with attachments showing me all the things that they found out about 1902 in their own personal communities that blew their mind. Things that they said, man, I can't believe this didn't make national news. This was, this was seen in the sky right here over Birmingham, Alabama, 1902, May 4th. So, I mean, there's all kinds of fucking things. So I need to, I need to do that, dude. I need to do that. That's, That's a really cool. good idea. Well, I would I would be happy to help, you know, as in an editorial capacity, if it got to that stage where you actually had a manuscript and you were trying to get in shape for publication. So just let me know. I mean, you may not even need that, but, um, you know, if you wanted that, I would be happy to do that. Yeah, the first thing would be uh, uh, the acquisition of information. So I got people that build websites overnight. They're badass. I just haven't had any use for them because I've already I mean, I already have my website. But uh, you know what? That's a really good idea. I'm going to put it out there on my channel. And I'm going to have somebody build a website overnight and everybody can start uploading their material to that website. And within, I'm talking about within two or three months, we should have a massive database that would be a really good, you know, even if it's a 30 to 30 to 80 page, uh, uh, just thesis on 1902, it would still be convincing enough to get people to understand that, look, there's a genuine mystery here. Yeah. yeah. And it relates to all of the other data that you're exploring. So I think, and it's, and it's close enough to, where we are now in time that it would be relative in a way that some of these more ancient dates maybe aren't for a lot of readers and listeners. I agree. That's awesome. So uh, I had another word, but I'm, I want to skip it, but I want to include the word because I mean, unless you have something you want to add, it's redaction. It's a little bit like editing, but the specific, the specific, um, uh, meaning of redaction is to obscure or remove text from a document prior to publication or release. Do yes. you want to add anything uh, <clears throat> archaic okay. on that? The, the definition of redaction that you just gave me would have been a, a sanitized one. It's not really, it's not really the definition that I lean on. I lean on uh, the the the, ten, the tense of the word redaction. The, the definition that I lean on is basically the because uh, I've seen it in a dictionary where it's where one scribe copying an older text passes off the new copy as a exact copy of the original, even though the new scribe introduced his own new biases into the new translation. And the people reading that translation later actually think that this is the way the manuscript was supposed to be passed on. Uh, redaction, redacting is changing the meaning and omitting things that are not liked. And I'll give you an example. Um, Oh, 
Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. Uh, when it talks about uh, the sons of God, the sons of God took the daughters of men and and they gave birth to, uh, I mean, uh, to, I can't remember how it's worded. I can't remember how it's worded, but the end result is that they're, okay, well, see, that's the redacted version. Check right. this out. That's, that's, that's perfectly my point. That's perfectly my point. So Genesis chapter 6 talks about the sons of God took the daughters of men, all of whom they chose. And this gave rise to the uh, heroes and the and, and men of renown. And I, mean, I wish I, I can't quote it all, but you get the idea. So now the Babylonian interpretation, which is fostered by the Jews of that passage, is that that is how monsters, mutants, hybrids, Nephilim, giants entered our world was when the sons of God had sex with human women. That is the redacted interpretation. That's not in that's not what it was originally conveyed. The original I read in the Spiro Zodhiades key study key study bible commentary breaks down that whole passage uh breaks down that whole whole passage uh to its core meanings using uh hebrew and aramaic lexicons it's fascinating when you read that and when you read the versions of finnish jennings dake from like 1910s 1920s on that same passage we're getting the mythological version promoted by babylon and uh uh, the Hebraicized version. The original versions wasn't sons of God uh, in 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 the tens, in the sense of being angels. It was it was another race of humans who were considered to be sons of the gods. And this race of humans came in contact with the daughters of the Adamu, and they took for for themselves whoever they wanted because they were powerful they did that so they took it's a it's a it's a basically an advanced human human race taking more primitive females from a more primitive culture took those females and the result from the perspective of the more primitive people was those the children of those females grew up to be like their fathers the this these sons of the gods uh, an advanced race and those their sons and daughters grew up to be like men of renown heroes and the text doesn't say anything about about um them being Nephilims or hybrid offspring of angels. All these are redacted interpretations, redacted versions because of the Talmudic and the Midrashic literature that imposes that interpretation on those older passages. But those original passages never conveyed that. It conveyed that a race of people who are much larger and more sophisticated had sex with, with women who were far more primitive from a primitive culture. But the offspring... But the offspring of these women uh, be, were, were very similar to, to the paternal side, to, to these people. And when they grew up, they were much bigger than the locals, too, even though they were half local. And they were much bigger. They were smarter. They became their heroes, their leaders, their men of renown. Every, every, every inference is positive. And not and not what we get from the Jewish version, which paints them as negative, mutant, demonic, half-angel hybrids. None of that is in Genesis. All that was all that was created in, in Jewish commentaries and then pushed on us all the way through the Judeo-Christian uh, uh, models, and especially in the rabbinical records. But it's not it's not an accurate depiction of the original Genesis text. It's a lot like what happened with the character of Seth. 
yeah, Seth was demonized. No doubt. So we're, these are examples, in essence, of, of a group of people using redaction, using an editing process to essentially rewrite and hijack history for social and political purposes. Let me give you a perfect example of how this, and this isn't my example. I read this in scholarly books, and uh, I, in my Dark Scriptures playlist, I give these as examples. But scholars in the 1800s who were, who were basically dissecting, they were dissecting the hell out of the Old Testament, and they made many, many interesting discoveries before those discoveries were actually confirmed in ancient cuneiform translations in the early 20th century. They had already come to the conclusions before they ever found proof for it. Mm -hmm. And this was that Genesis is separated by very definitive colophons showing that the older writings in Genesis specifically say, and this is, it's talking about Toledo, Toledo Benoit, meaning these are the generations of, and it shows these are generations of Adam. These are generations of Seth. These are generations of Mahalalil. These are generations of Noah. These are generations of Shem. These are the generations of, uh, of, of Kim, Ham, whatever. Uh, and it goes on and on. And it shows that every single instance that term is used, it shows that a ancient stone tablet was done. And the colophon was inferring that that this, this tablet record continues. So it told ancient scribes, oh, okay, when they saw that term, there, there's another tablet. It's when the term stops that, that the record's over and they know, okay, well, there's no more tablets after this. This is the end of this record. And these are called colophons. So they noticed this about Genesis, and they were very quick to notice that Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy has no evidence of colophons. Also, God has been changed. The name for God has been changed uh, into a, he a Hebraicized version, which is not found in, in the earlier records of Genesis. What also was very clear was that after Moses leaves the narrative, after Moses leaves the narrative uh, of the book of Exodus, now in the book of Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, the Psalms, some of the Old Testament prophets and all that, the exact same Hebrew words in the exact same syntax was used hundreds of times in the Old Testament. And it says, as Moses spaketh, or, or as as the Lord God spaketh to Moses. It's almost as if somebody had created a stamp and just went through all these ancient texts and just stamp, 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 because Adam and Eve, Moses, none of the elements of their life are mentioned in any of these other books. It's almost as if they needed to, here's, here's the Moses epos. This is what the scholars are saying. Here's the Moses epos right here. Okay, but we need to make it look like all these other Israelite in Jewish texts also knew who Moses was. And the easiest way to do that, when none of them mention him, they don't say a single thing about the Red Sea crossing, about escaping out of Egypt. The best way to do it is to, the next time that we make new copies of all these other scrolls, the new copies will insert 
in certain places as Mo Moses spaketh and as the Lord God spaketh unto Moses. Those two terms were found hundreds of times, and yet scholars have noticed it doesn't make sense that those two terms in that syntax were used over and over and over and over in all these records, and yet there are no details about Moses in any of these other books, as if he never existed, as if, as if, I mean, why, if the Ten Commandments are so important, why didn't the Bible anywhere else mention them? If the Ark of the Covenant was so important, why didn't any of these prophets of, of Israel and, and, and Judah ever mention the Ark? If all these elements about the escape from Egypt was so important, why didn't anybody else mention it? If all these things about that were going on, on on Mount Sinai and all these commands of God, how come they were never, ever uttered again anywhere else in the Old Testament? Nothing. Instead, we get the, these two phrases, as Moses spaketh and it's, this is redaction. This is what the scholars are saying. The scholars are saying that that rabbis took these old Israelite scrolls and, and Nabataean scrolls, like the book of Job, and they took them, and when they made new copies, they Hebraicized the documents, and they included these little, little statements called interpolations. Yes. These interpolations are evidence of redacted texts. Just fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. So we've covered composition, editing, redaction. We've touched on translation. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about translation? Well, <clears throat> no, there's really, there's really not much to say. It's uh, not unless you want to talk about a, a particular translation, but no, but translate when, when, when a, there are two times when a text can be redacted only two times. One is when it's going from a previous copy to a newer copy in the in the in the transmission of the text. Like let's say if it's let's say if it's Paleo Hebrew, let's say if it's Rabbinical Hebrew, Hebrew, let's say and it's and it's going into a more modernized Hebrew. Okay, during that transmission is the perfect time to to make the changes, which are redactions. Now that's one instance. The other instance in the in the in the one that that scribes get away with the most is when it's being transliterated, when they're taking a Latin text and translating in, into rabbinical Hebrew, they have great latitude about how they want to say things. They can change the grammar, the syntax, the, the sentence structure to create new and different meanings. They can do all that. Those are the most dangerous redactions is when a text is taken out of its original language and put into another language. Yeah, so that can be really weaponized if you're trying to to craft uh, or, or if you're trying to create um, that whole uh, narrative agenda, you know, that Turley talks about, you know, the crafting of the narrative. That That's certainly something that moment of translation can be very weaponized in that direction. What do yeah. you have to say about plagiarism? Well, <clears throat> there's a whole lot of that going going on. Uh, play, plagiarism, plagiarism is real. I mean, play, even today, plagiarism is very real right now, like on YouTube. Um, from the very beginning of my channel, you know, I've, I've invited people to use my content. You know, use my content, spread the word. You don't owe me no money. Monetize your channels. Use my material. I'm not worried about none of that. But from the beginning, I've also said, hey, man, you know, cite, cite my channel. Say, hey, man, this is what Jason Arcades puts out. I hope you all appreciate it. Uh, he gave me permission to do this. You know, I'm seeing a lot of archaics material. People are sending me emails of my material showing up on some. May I'm talking about people that got over a million subs, and they're and they're now 
promoting concepts that came straight out of my videos. And you know what? I'm glad, but they're not making any mention about me or archaics. That's plagiar plagiarism. You know what? But you know what? It comes with the territory. I'm not, I'm not suing anybody. I'm not going through all that BS, but it's happening. And the same thing has happened every decade going back thousands of years. We have many people today. I'm talking about names that are well-known who people actually believe are the authors of certain texts, and they're not. They stole these texts. They stole whole, whole entire literary works from priorly existing peoples, and, and they basically bastardized them. They turned around and completely ignored the existence of these prior peoples, took their writings, claimed that they're the author of these writings. This has been going on for centuries. Yeah, you already know what I'm inferring, and I don't want to talk about them, but they, I mean, they're they are so good at what they do, and this is the reason why most of them own the publishing industry today. Not just the, not just the publishing industry, but even the literary agents. Even the literary agencies are owned by these people. It says, this is what they've been doing. This is why about 70% of all the Western world's texts are all written through their lens, through, from their perspective. This is why all these, even in the fiction world, soul, even in the fiction world, people would be shocked if I just showed them a list of all the major fiction, all the bestseller, all the New York Times bestselling authors. If I showed you a list of all these people going back to the 1940s, if I showed you a list and showed you how many of these people Americanized their names to conceal their ethnicity and conceal, conceal their identity because they can't have, and the reason they, they, do, they do this is because they cannot have the world knowing what's going on. They can't have you looking up all this data in all these almanacs to see who owns all these publishing companies. So they can't have that one ethnicity owning them all. So they've Americanized their names or they, or they've, uh, uh, they've Germanized their names or Frankophile their names or whatever you call it. When you, when you change your name to a French name, this mm -hmm. is what they do. This is what they do. Even the sports agencies. But if you saw the list of New York times, best-selling authors, it would shock you. Because when I was in prison, I used to read a bunch of these books, and I used to think, man, that's garbage. I write fiction. I write fantasy epic fiction. And I have a lot of people that have been to my channel and left comments for other people about what they feel, what, uh, how, about, my, about the stories that I write. And I'm telling you now, the comments I get in my section aren't like the ones you see on the New York Times bestseller list. You don't get comments like that. These people are given that because of who they are. It's 100% nepotism absolute nepotism. This is what's been going on in the publishing industry for a very long time. This is why self-publishing was a threat to them. This is why they're always trying trying to, to lobby for new legislation to, to put tighter controls on self-publishing. They don't like that. It's outside the fold. Just like these music artists now are now rebelling against the music industry because the music industry is 100% owned and controlled by the same the same ethnicity. And this is why people like Tom McDonald are a threat. This man's making millions. He's top, he's number one on the charts now. They can't stand him because he's not in their fold. He refuses to have a label. He refuses for them to own him because all they want to do is make money off of him. But uh, yeah, it's this is going on over and over. People are waking up all around the world about it. But when you say the word plagiarism, I can only think of these people.
because they've stolen everything from everybody else and claim that they are the true innovators. They are the true authors. They are the true uh, uh, owners of all these things. And they're not. They're not. They have completely taken everything, everything that they have have basically broadcast to the world as their own personal accomplishments. They have taken from other people who have been forgotten by design. So this this top-down information monopoly is it's a fascinating phenomenon, and you can look at it from a lot of different angles. Do you think it's also evidence or circumstantial evidence at the very least that this group of people are aware of the resets and things like the Phoenix phenomenon, and they're trying to control the information that people can research and 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 <clears throat> and, and limit people's ability to connect the dots? Absolutely, because it was from their own literature that I pulled out a lot of the information about the 138-year Phoenix phenomenon. It was from these people's historical records. It's from their material. Now, back when this material was widely, you know, revered by them, it was not known to other people. It's only in these last days that the rest of the world has been able to see all these other ancient records. And in seeing these, been able to put these pieces back together. But they're still very difficult to find. The only place I found for uh, the reference for for uh, like the 138 year appearance of uh, excuse me, the angels of heaven are punished for 138 years for telling Lot and his family about the destruction that was about to be vi visited on Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, 138 years is the Phoenix phenomenon, and. Uh, the only place I could find that reference was in a bibliography by Tracy Twyman in her book, The Moravian Mythos, the first edition in the bibliography. Listen, that woman is gone for whatever reason. A lot of people think she was killed, uh, but she, that, that woman is gone. And when I downloaded the PDF versions of that, that reference was gone. And other people tried to help me find it. And, and we looked and saw that the PDFs, the page numbers on the PDFs don't match the page numbers for the for for the uh, uh, paper, the paperback editions of that book that people possessed. It's the, the scrubbing and editing out of history is still going on. I do believe that the construct has employed these people. They have made an agreement. I believe that agreement is in our Old Testament. I believe 100% in everything that that, that that thing said when it popped out that burning bush and it laid out everything it promises. Hey, man, this is what I'm going to do for you. This is what you're going to do for me. And the agreement is right there in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The ones who agreed to it are right there. The ones who didn't agree to it were the Israelites. And this is the reason why the Israelites went through such hell all throughout the Old Testament. Because these other people, south of them, took signed the contract. The Israelites did not. And, they were, and the Israelites ended up getting scattered all over the world. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize the first four battles the Israelites fought were against these people. And it's in the Old Testament for anybody to see, but it's not taught in the churches. Yeah, it's it's a my dark scriptures playlist goes into all these details, man. It's it's yes, uh, it does, and so does Chronicon. Chronicon gives a lot of detail too. Yeah, and I've definitely taken a lot of that on. I've been listening to uh, Nick T's uh, really nice reading of that. There's a couple of uh, terms here that are related, and they're actually related to the discussion we've been having. I wanted to put these together. Uh, gatekeeping and peer review. 
Okay. I'm trying to I'm trying I'm trying to address these in a context different from the direction I just went with. And that, that's fine. Like, you don't have to. But it, what I'm saying is, it's almost it's interrelated because right. uh, gatekeep gatekeeping is basically controlling the flow of information. So that's exactly what they're doing. I mean, if you own all the publishing companies and you get to decide who gets awarded with uh, the New York Times bestseller and all that, yeah, and it's it's you get to, you get to cherry pick which fiction writers you want to award because you like not only their ethnicity, who they are, which nobody can really trace to your ethnicity because they've Americanized their names or they, or they've Europe and whatever, whatever country they're in to conceal their true identities. So people wouldn't see this vast network of nepotism. So it's a gatekeep. Gatekeeping is very easy to do to control information when you're the one that owns 95% of the world, the world's publishing outlets, because it's not just the publishing companies. It's also the newspapers. It's also in the newspapers, by extension, all the online companies that are promoting news. This is why the alternative news media has exploded because people have woke up. They now know, man, this is all BS. All this mainstream media is controlled by the same people and everybody's tired of it. And, I, and they're just, they're just, they're just, there's just no, people aren't being deceived anymore. Now, now there's always going to be a collective and they're always going to believe whatever, whatever, whatever uh, mainstream media tells them. But for the large part, a lot of us have woken up, but this gate, this gatekeeping, this control of information it's ancient. There's nothing new about it. It used to be done through the trade route system before we had news agencies. It used and before the trade route system. I've already done a couple videos on exactly the mechanics of the oracles, how they operated in the ancient world. Yeah, that's and I use. Stuff. Excuse me. That's just fascinating stuff. That you know your uh, your information on oracles is re- really wild. Yeah. The, well, the oracles were, were also gatekeepers. They were also how. Uh, uh, they weren't predicting the future, but everybody thought they were because they were dead on accurate, but it was, they just controlled the flow of information. So it's a, uh, uh, gatekeepers was one. What was the other one you said? It was gatekeepers and peer review, which okay, is a well, form of well, gatekeeping, of course. Yes, it is. I was, I was just about to say that. I said peer review is no different than gatekeeping. It's a, uh, I'll give you an example. I can continue to put out profound material and back it up with data points and data sets and have other people enter the archaics fold and add more material to it. We can keep building this body of knowledge, but you know what? Established intelligentsia will never accept the material from archaics or Jason because I didn't come up through the proper procedures of education to be peer reviewed. I don't have the labels. I don't have the degrees, the doctorates to be peer reviewed. So without being peer reviewed, none of the archaics material will ever be seriously considered by academia. And that's okay. Jason, it would never be considered anyway. They're, they're never going to admit a cataclysmic view of history, period. Oh, you're right. You're right. They're uniformitarian to the core. You're right. Absolutely. It's a, But yeah, peer review is an excellent way to, to do that. Because listen, if, if five major theories were introduced 
in the year 2023. And two of those theories actually threatened the established power structure. Then the other three will get will get peer review, will get funding, will get entertained, and the other two theories will just wane out because they've been totally ignored by this vast controlled apparatus that governs over all the publishing industries. One hundred percent. But similar to what they, what they did back in the day with the implantation of this concept of the ice age. Yes, it's exactly what they did. all of the other data. And, they, and then that became the dominant narrative. Again, we're back to constructing the narrative. It's all, we're just talking about fiction over and over and over here. Yeah, it's exactly. Our entire world's all fiction. But you're right. The, 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 the theories in the 1800s that actually accounted for all the evidence before we even brought Phoenix phenomenon into the equation, the theories that, the theories that made the most sense were about repeated glaciations that glaciers are recent and that they just recently appeared within the last thousands of years and deposited all these boulders and all these fossils and all that and then they receded for whatever reason and then centuries later they came back so that was a that theory actually accounted for all the evidence but because they were speaking in terms of of centuries Science, the scientific world totally dismissed them. It wasn't uniformitarian enough. It was too catastrophic. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. I wanted to point out, you were mentioning the online news agencies a moment ago, and you can also sort of find the signature of the people that we've been talking about very often in a kind of warped sense of humor. And so Yahoo, right, this big news right. agency, right, so that is a, uh, according to dictionary, uh, Merriam-Webster, um, it is a member of a race of brutes in Swift's Gulliver's Travels who have the form and all devices of humans, and it's also a boorish, crass, or stupid person. So we get Yahoo News. Yahoo News. Uh, somebody had told me something about the meaning of Google, what Google means in Hebrew. I don't, I don't know. know that. I don't know that. I'm That's fascinating. I'm gonna look. I'm no. I'm looking it up right now. Yes, please share that, because you know very often there is this real um, pejorative angle on what we get. You know, in terms of our our media, the titles of things, the names of companies, that kind of thing. You can kind of do the math on some of some of that uh, information. I can't read Hebrew. It's given me several Hebrew words. I can't read it, though. But it also says it has a geometrical meaning. It's something important in Hebrew geometria. But, you know, I'm not, I'm just not, uh, I'm not really into the geometria. So I know, I know, uh, you know, we're, we're pushing towards the end of our time together. I have a couple more words uh, that I would sure. like to bring forward, and, and then we can wrap things up. Uh, and this is um, an interesting word, retraction. The act of taking back an offer or statement or admitting that a statement was false. Just before we go through that, right here on a Hebrew website called Ulpan. Ulpan La Inyan. I don't know what that means, but it's a Hebrew website. Everything's in Hebrew with English translations. It says, it specifically says in Hebrew and it translates it says, you don't need libraries anymore. You can Google. <laughs> That's wild. One of my words was library. <laughs> it, says, it says it right there. You don't need libraries anymore. You can Google. 
Oh, it man. says that in Hebrew, and then it translated translates it into English. It says it's one of the second most popular terms in Hebrew that uses the word Google. Well, that's um, part of that whole planned failure that we're also getting, not only with the library and information system, but with our power sources, wind and electric and that kind of thing that you've been talking about. Absolutely. Look, listen. So I'm going to give it to you in, in, listen, 30 seconds, in just 30 seconds. Listen to this. Imagine, imagine uh, just imagine a 45-day hiatus where we have no tele telecommunications, 45 days with no Facebook, 45 days. They can't allow the cessation of activity to go on for months because that's long enough for people to adapt to a new lifestyle when they realize they don't need the internet. You understand? Yeah. So they need it to be something very temporary, maybe 18 days. I don't know. They needs to be temporary to invoke that depression, to invoke that panic. And then the new internet comes on. And when it does now, it is cerebral interface holographic metaverse type stuff. And everybody gets a free visor in the mail with their control panel. Everybody gets one for free. You don't have to buy it. The whole world is invited. And now you get to do everything holographic. Now you search the new internet with your mind, not on a keyboard. Now you go through the whole internet and you walk in digital libraries and you go to old books. Oh, I'm gonna go check out the old books. Oh, Archaics was telling me about this book right here. I found it in the digital library. It's right here. You pull it off the shelf in, in the alternate reality of this new metaverse, open it up and you think you're reading an accurate copy of the book as it was in 1882, but you're not. They're gonna do this, brother. I'm telling you, this is the plan. They need... They need to bring down the present internet structure, which was the primitive version, and bring back the new meta version, which is holographic, which, which, re, which it doesn't require you to observe. It requires you to immerse yourself in. And now you're allowed to do all kinds of things you would have never been allowed to do in real life. And you're to experience those things. It's a simulation within a simulation. That's how they're going to get these people. It's exactly how they're going to do it. This is why yeah. they're not worried about the truther movement. They're not worried about all this information that's being released to the public. They're not worried about all these people waking up and all that. They're not worried about it because we're going to be on the outside looking in. And the only system that's going to be available to us is theirs or none. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. Or maybe decentralized systems like Cordal, because that's the whole one of the whole reasons they they built this thing was for just such an eventuality when things go south uh, with the existing internet, or it's taken over and controlled to, to to such an extent that you can't function on it as you. I can I can envision a world, soul. I can envision a world where. 75, 85% of the population is totally lost in this new alter reality and they're experiencing things and old people, people, you know, people in their 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s are doing it because they can, they can live in an avatar that's only 20 years old and they can do 20 year old activities and they love it. I can envision a world, but sure. I can also see exactly what you're talking about, that on the outside of this alter reality, there are still splinter groups that are still communicating and and the power structure isn't threatened by that because we're just communicating and we all we're all tight tight knit community on our own little private servers doing it and communicate because yes. we're not changing the world and we're not interfering with theirs we're just refusing to participate in it
Yeah, really. In the quartal system, it has nodes and it is totally private, small, doesn't require a lot of memory or processing power or anything like that. It can actually be done on a phone. So it is it's robust. The system is very robust. So do look into that. It's Q-O-R-T-A-L because we really want to get as many errants on Cordal as possible in the next few years in the event something like this, this goes down. So let's talk for a moment about retraction. And I've heard you, you, you have made the statement on a number of occasions um, that all of these science books have been written with obviously incorrect data, much of which has been disproved after the fact. And you never see anyone going back and rewriting those books. So where are the never. retractions? Never an admission of guilt. Never a retraction. You're right. It's a uh, yeah. It's it, it. It gets old. It gets so old when, like, I give you an example. When scientists first first learned that, uh, radio halos were perfectly preserved in granite. And uh, in polonium, polonium signatures, it was shocking to the scientific world. But the engine of censorship instantly went because when it was discovered, there's only one conclusion that you can make. There are no other interpretations of this. Uh, uh, there's no other ways to interpret this data. In solid granite are preserved the little fossilized radio halos of polonium signatures, which have a half-life of about a tenth of a second. So what this means is, is first of all, polonium cannot, cannot, cannot uh, emit the radio halos unless it's heated up like lava. And it's superheated up. It puts off these little radio halo halos. Those radio halos, at the second that it's that it's uh, cooled, when it cools, it would be a very unusual event. But it's possible for a radio halo to be fossilized. But that's but that's not what what's been found. What's been found is granite that has not yet been turned to rhyolite. That's what that's what rhyolite is. Rhyolite is basement rock that has been melted, superheated from what was priorly granite. But it's not rhyolite. It's still granite. And yet perfectly preserved in the granite under under electron microscopes are hundreds of billions of little radio, radio halo signatures coming off polonium trapped in the granite. That's not possible mm -hmm. except for one condition. Only one condition answers for that possibility. And that is that the granite crust of our world where these radio, radio polonium signatures have been found encased in granite is if it was created in a fraction of a second. Wow. Instantly, instantly. When the scientific world took this into consideration, they didn't really have much to say about it because nobody wanted to talk about it. It's, it totally defies uniformitarianism. They didn't like it at all. So it's a uh, uh, many, many scientists came out as naysayers and, and other people have confirmed that, yes, radio halo signatures are found in polonium and granite. And they, there's all kinds of weird stuff. But if you want to know the whole story about it and how it's absolutely impossible, it's a very inexpensive book called Evolution Cruncher.
Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's it's all scientific. It all cites the sources. It's where I got my information about all the fossilized jellyfish and earthworms that have found proving that the fossil fossilization process isn't anything the scientific world tells us it is. It's a the whole world flash froze in the ancient times. It's the only way delicate creatures that have been caught like like time like time just stopped in the middle of fighting each other with the hackles still up on their back. You know, uh, porpoises giving birth with 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 a, a baby porpoise still in the hips of the fish. It's a uh, yeah. It's just there's too many too many fossils that show instant flash freezing of the ancient world. Now you, just, you theorize that that would have been what happened prior to ge- the Genesis account. That's the Nemesis Cataclysm. That's when one star blew up and sent all the all the worlds that were around it to the star we're at now. Soul. Absolutely fascinating. Well, I would like to to um, share a few more terms with our listeners for them to kind of chew on and think about relative to this discussion. And we don't have to go into this. People can actually do this themselves to a certain degree. I asked people uh, consider the role of censorship in a simulation. You just talked about censorship. What's going on with debunking and fact-checking? What's happening with the revision process in general? How do we interpret the creation, the burning, the hiding, et cetera, of libraries, and then, you know, finally book burning as a as a form of um, gatekeeping or um, peer review, perhaps, or re- related to those terms. But there's so much here, and I had even more terms, but I wanted to highlight those to just end on a note of um, where I'm, I'm, I'm just wanting to reemphasize how we are living in a kind of literary construct. And all of these terms that apply to the creation and dissemination and changing of literature apply to the construct itself. Therefore, (laughs) we can study the construct as a fiction, and I think we will be much further along in our understanding, in our gnosis, than we we would be if we continue to look to quote-unquote facts and, and science for the answers. And that's my rant. Those are good words. Those are good words for real. They're, I mean, you already know. Anytime, anytime YouTube puts that Wikipedia context deal in there, you already know you need to pay attention. That's right. That's right. And if you're an errant and you know that, then you go and look. <laughs> and you interpret things at about 180 degrees from what they're telling you. Do, do you do that? I, I just kind of reverse everything to try to get closer to what's actually going on. Man, listen, it's if you want to know what's really going on in sociopolitics, all you have to do is watch mainstream media. And the filter you need to process the information that's given to you in mainstream media is assume the exact opposite is true. I, I say something really similar in this book I'm about to publish called Musings from a Small Island. So I didn't get it from you. I wrote this several years ago, but it's exactly the same conclusion. Just just reverse it, and you're going to be pretty close to what's actually happening. That's right. That's right. Well, this has been super fun. I knew that it would be another wild ride. Sorry we got off to a little bit of a rough start there, but you really hit your stride and just laid down a lot of really cool information and perspectives, and I, I appreciate your you know, being a really good sport and, and then kind of getting the flow going because you got, you yeah. got there. 
Yeah, that'll work. I've had a long day today. I started I started off with letting Matt have the floor and he just took off. He took my whole show today. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. I mean, I was I was there and I was in the chat and uh, I mean people were really enjoying that. And it was I mean, it's really fun to do yeah. things a little bit differently from time to time. Hey, I had an idea that I wanted to just share with you. And this could be an either or or a both and, but you had talked about what to do for your hundred thousand subscribers. But, oh yeah. Right. Yeah. So what are you gonna do for your hundred and forty four thousand subscribers? Oh, that's a good one. That's another party, yeah. That's a good one. I do know this. I haven't I haven't announced it on my channel yet, but I'm going to. But I I, I need to figure out where I'm gonna set this up, where maybe people can do them on their own channel. I don't know. I gotta figure out how we can transfer that many videos, but I want I need to go somewhere where I can see everybody's videos. I need everybody to do not everybody, but I need a lot of people to do like 20, 30 second videos about what archaics ha has meant for them. And I wanted to do that for my, my, my 100,000 videos as well. And just put uh, like a two hour long presentation full of nothing but testimonies all the way across the, the board. Oh, I love the idea. Uh, well, let's just, let's put that out there. Uh, you're going to have to let people know where to send them, but people could be making those short videos now. Yeah, I don't, I don't they would shut down my Google account trying to get all those videos on. Um, oh, yeah, I'm wondering how you would how you would do that. I mean, you're talking about short videos, so 20, 30 seconds, right? Yeah. yeah. You're gonna have people who are gonna be a little more long-winded than that, but I mean certainly not more than 45 seconds for, for you well, know, I mean then you would be you would need to edit stuff probably. Yeah. Cause I can't have one person take too long when I'm trying to give everybody equal time to to be on YouTube. I mean, this is I, I, I'm going to figure it out. I'm probably going to make the announcement tomorrow. I'm going to figure it out. But I'm pretty sure that hey, even if it's just 50 people, 50 people at 30 seconds each, that's perfect. I mean, I put that video out there and, and it would basically give an idea to everybody else what kind of people are, are listening and what they got out of our case. I think it's great. You should absolutely do that. And it's very celebratory and upbeat and, and interactive and fun. I'm I'm down with that. I really like the idea. Thank you, man. Thank you. I'm I'll, I'm going to need your video too. Then, Let's well, see. I might have to just make one. Um, <laughs> be, uh, let me come up with something, you know, uh, that I can get out there in thirty seconds. Because there's so I think one of the problems people run into with your work, and this is a compliment, is that there's so much data. There's so it, it hits on so many different levels, and it's so interconnected that it's kind of difficult to break it down into a soundbite. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, this is awesome, Jason. I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out Thursday uh, evening right. at uh, I think uh, six p.m. Eastern, and uh, and so if you're uh, you know if you're feeling uh, if you have if you get a wild hair, feel free to stop by the chat. Uh, the, I, I've got uh, Shiva Shampoo and Cheryl Bailey who are going to moderate for me, so we should be able to uh, you know control the chaos, as it were. Cool. Um, you'll need to send me a link before then because. In a 48-hour 48, 48 period of time, there's no telling what direction I'm going in. I'm, I'm doing too much. So, because I want to be able to tell all my all my viewers that, that it's premiering. So send me the link. I will. I'll send it to you as soon as I put it up, which may be tomorrow or, or early the next day at the latest. But I know I know that we're kind of cutting that kind of close. But I'll tr I'm going to try to get it together tomorrow, and then, um, then I'll send you a link. So I appreciate you putting it out there. And, um, yeah, it'll be fun. That'll work. That'll work. Excellent.
All right, my friend. Well, thank you so much. And uh, let's do uh, round four one of these days. I, I already have a, another idea that could be kind of fun for that. That'll work.